You're listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. For more information about our church, visit our website at redrocksbaptist.org or follow us on Instagram at redrocksbaptist. We'll be in John chapter 1 this morning, so if you turn with me in your Bibles there, we'll be looking at the last part of the, the passage that Fred read this morning. If you had a perfect Christmas gift, what would that Christmas gift be? Now, if you're under the age of 10, the perfect Christmas gift is probably whatever you received this morning that you're not playing with right this second. That's probably the perfect Christmas gift. Uh, I was racking my brain. I've had many good gifts uh, that my parents have given to me. I received a, a baseball glove, I think when I was 13 or so. It was a first baseman's glove. If you're into baseball, there's something very different about that. So it's kind of a unique, special glove. My parents were trying to tell me I was a special child by getting me that, I think. Uh, one year, my parents were expanding their home. and They put kind of a great room onto the side of the house. And for Christmas that year, they bought a ping pong table and a foosball table. And so we flipped out. Uh, and promptly bent the rods on the foosball table. You know, within a couple of weeks, that was not good. My dad was not pleased with that. Uh, this year, the only gift I've received so far <clears throat> from my boys is a set of Nerf blasters that they promptly regretted giving me uh, because they're very accurate. And apparently they hurt when you get shot with them. I'm taking their word for it. Uh, had a little Nerf fight yesterday. It was all fun and games till someone got shot in the eye. And then there were a lot of tears, and I apologized profusely. (laughs) He stuck his face out, and I shot what was there. Uh, I felt bad for about three seconds. And he's fine. He's totally fine, okay? Uh, The older I get, and maybe you're like this too, the more you start to appreciate books or or things that don't move, uh, things that don't break, something that you can just hold in your hand. I, I love to read, and my wife loves to read. And the older we get, you say, you're not real old. That's true. But, but each year that goes by, more and more, we love to receive books. And actually, tomorrow at Christmas, around my parents' Christmas tree, there will be several books passed around because of the, uh, of the four or five family units here. Four of us are in ministry, so we all love to read. We all love to read books that deal with the Christian life. And, uh, and, and we'll all be excited about that. Some of you are thinking, if I opened a book, I don't know what I'd do, but I wouldn't be happy. Uh, maybe you'd, you'd toss it onto the open fire and uh, stoke the flame a little bit more. Maybe that would be you. Others of you are going, <gasps> what are you talking about? Books are the greatest thing known to man. I'm kind of in that category. But because of my love for books, every time I come to John chapter 1, I find it very interesting that John refers to Jesus as the Word, the Word of God. In fact, the opening words to this gospel is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, what is John doing? He's communicating to us, because words communicate. So by calling Jesus the Word, he is saying that Jesus communicates something to us. Well, Jesus isn't words on a page, though, right? He, he lived, he had a life, and, and more and more we're getting uh, instructional videos when we buy something. We're getting, instead of like 32 pages of six-point font and fine print of how to put something together with an Allen wrench, you're getting like a, a QR code that links to a YouTube tutorial video. 
and you click that or, or scan that, and it's like a three-minute video of what would have taken you 30 minutes to try to work through by reading. And so you see the, the, the video explain that life. And what Jesus does is he takes the written words of Scripture and turns it into a real-life person. That's who he is. He is the living word of God, the revelation from God in human skin. And as the word of God, he communicates to us. This month, if you've been with us, uh, we've studied John chapter 1. If you haven't, we'll do a brief review here. We've seen in this passage how Jesus came to earth. And he came to earth first as a child to make us God's children. But he also came as light to shine in our spiritual darkness. Last night in our Christmas Eve service, we looked at how Jesus came as life to give us spiritual life. That there is no life other than the one who is the resurrection and the life. And this morning, we'll add a fourth and final item to this list. Jesus came as the word to explain God to us. And I don't know if you've ever thought about the word in this way. Sometimes the, the word, Jesus is the word, is kind of so embedded in our minds that we don't think about it deeply. And we'd like to try to do that for a few moments. And although today is Christmas, and if you have plans afterward, I'm sure you do, I would encourage you to give your attention to the scriptures for a few moments so we don't simply get caught up in the hustle and bustle of what's going on around us. That's very easy to do. But let's not forget why Christmas is so special. Christmas is special because Jesus came to earth as the word to explain God to us. And he explains God by showing us three realities. They're all grounded right here in these five verses, John 1, 14 through 18. He shows us God's glory, he shows us God's grace, and he shows us God's face. Let's look at verse 14. We'll see the first of these. He shows us God's glory. And the word became flesh, John writes, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus alone shows us God's glory. Right here in this verse, John says, we beheld his glory. John actually is, is one of the only people in scripture that can claim that because he saw the glory of God not one time, but twice. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he, John saw Jesus' face shining like the sun and his clothes turning brilliantly white, whiter than any launderer could turn them. He saw Jesus' glory. At the end of his life in Revelation chapter 1, John saw the glorified Jesus. This is how he described Christ. Jesus had hair white like wool. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass. His voice was like the sound of many waters. He was terrified. The Bible says he fell at Jesus' feet as though he were dead. John literally beheld the glory of of God. And in this verse, verse 14, John writes that Jesus possesses God's glory. It's the glory of the Father full of grace and truth. So he possesses the glory of God. Now there's this term, only begotten. And there's some confusion about this term. It's in John 3:16 as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that that term sounds like Jesus was created by God that, that God had a physical descendant son. And, and we know that that's not quite right. What does this term mean? It actually means the one and only, like being in a category all by yourself, a one of a kind. 
Jesus, then, is the one and only being in all the universe that possesses God's glory. He is unique. He is one of a kind because the word is God. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. And that word radiance means that Jesus doesn't reflect God's glory like we do as his image bearers. Jesus possesses God's glory because he is God. When Jesus came to earth then, what did he do? Well, he took on flesh, certainly. He took on flesh, but he robed the glory of God in a human body, in human skin. So on the Mount of Transfiguration, we could say that the veil of flesh was pulled back just a touch, and the glory of Jesus shined through. The word became flesh is a simple, really, but a profound explanation of how God's glory is seen through Jesus, because God became a man. And obviously, that is what we celebrate here at Christmas. But more than that, verse 14 says that he became man and dwelt among us. Jesus dwelt with people. And at first glance, you're probably thinking, this isn't really complicated. He lived on this earth, right? Okay, that's true. But let's dig a little deeper into this word because it's, it's really fascinating. The word dwelt is, is literally the word for tabernacle. It means to pitch one's tent or to take up residence. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's the same word, tabernacle, that's found all throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So we could translate verse 14 like this. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He pitched his tent among us. So this isn't just a description of what literally happened there. This is actually describing a theological reality that has far-reaching implications. Because in the Old Testament, where did God's glory dwell? In a tabernacle or in a temple. God's Shekinah glory dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And the reason God confined his presence to that space was to keep himself distant from sinners, right? If you have uh, some Bible study in your background, you can remember that, that the temple had many courts, right? There was a certain court that Gentiles could go in, then there was a certain court women could go in, then a certain court men could go in, then only priests could go further, and then only one day of year, the, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies with animal blood. Why all the layers? Well, God's glory was so all-consuming and so grand and so holy that sinners could not draw near to it. But now, God's glory is far closer to us. God's glory is not confined to a, a room in a tent in a physical place. God's glory came to earth in human form because God himself pitched a tent with human skin and lived among us. Jesus is a greater tabernacle, a greater display of the glory of God dwelling within us. And so when we look at Jesus, we see the glory of God. We don't just see a cute little baby in the manger that we can get sentimental about. We don't see the little child on Mary's knee on Christmas cards with a halo. I don't think he had a halo, by the way. That's not what we see. We actually see the glory of God. He is the visible manifestation of God's glory. That, that's not a small development either, right? This is the same glory 
that Moses could not see in full. The same glory that Isaiah looked at and said, I'm about to be uncreated. The same glory that humbled Job and Job said, I'm going to shut my mouth now. That's the same glory that we see in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's glory shines in the baby Jesus. And this glory isn't neutral. It actually transforms us. What what we behold, the glory that we see, shapes us. Just a few verses earlier in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, we see this. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, here it is, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's what the claim that John 1.14 is making, that we beheld the glory of God through Christ. Today, on Christmas Day, gaze deeply at the Lord Jesus. Not with physical eyes, you can't see him. Not with physical pictures or representations of him, but with spiritual eyes. Behold the glory of of our magnificent God in the baby in the manger. Consider how he lived and grew up. Consider how he died and rose. Consider how he is now glorified at the Father's right hand. This is the baby in the manger. This is the one we owe our lives to. And as you marvel at the glory of Christ, remember also this. The baby in the manger brings the glory of God to us. The story of the Old Testament is that God is promising to dwell with his people, but the people were sinful and not worthy of his glory. And so there was always distance and separation. And yet, when we were far off from God, he came near to us. His glory shines in our darkness and meets every need that we have. And that's so important to remember because Christmas can be a difficult day for a lot of people. It brings painful memories, perhaps, of a spouse that's no longer living, or family members who have shut you out or are no longer part of the family. And if that describes you, if you feel more grief than joy today, because there are a lot of people who feel that, remember this. Jesus came to earth to be near you. He brought his glory down to a level where you could draw near to him. That's the meaning of this name, Emmanuel, God with us. And as a fellow human sufferer, Jesus understands your grief and you can draw near to him. You can find the comfort that, that, that will help and be a balm to your soul. And where is it found? It's not found in eating or drinking or partying or TV. It's found by coming to the baby in the manger and recognizing that God became man for you. Jesus is Emmanuel, tabernacling among us, showing us the glory of God. So as the word, he shows us God's glory. But second, as he came to us as the word, Jesus also shows us the grace of God, God's grace. This is in verses 14, 16, and 17. You say, why are you skipping verse 15? Uh, Verse 15 is talking about John the Baptist. And if we were going to go verse by verse through John, we would hit this. Uh, because there's an important role that this verse is playing. 
but for our, uh, our message this morning, we're just going to skip over it and, and seamlessly go from 14 to 16. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus alone shows us God's grace. And these verses here show us God's grace in two ways. And at first glance, verses 16 and 17 might be a little bit hard to, to put your arms around and, and, and try to understand how they fit into the flow of the passage. So let's talk about them. First, Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. These two qualities summarize the character of God, and he is full of these things. He is full of grace and truth. Grace captures the attributes of love and mercy and compassion and kindness and patience. That is Jesus perfectly. Truth points to God's justice, holiness, wrath, righteousness, and purity. That also captures Jesus perfectly. So in Jesus, we see God maintaining truth and justice while demonstrating love and mercy. God being both just and justifier of the ones who have faith in Jesus. The truth is that we are sinners headed for an eternity in hell. The grace is that God has sent his son into the world to bring salvation to us. In this one life, all of God's nature are perfectly fitted together. And it's not in our lives, it's in Jesus's life. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And because he's the embodiment of grace and truth, he provides a greater grace than the law of Moses. And this is where verses 16 and 17 get a little bit tricky, okay? Because in verse 16, we have received grace for grace. That's at the end of verse 16. There's a debate in the literature about how to interpret that. The, the best way to look at it, I think, is that this phrase refers to receiving better grace on top of grace. So we're getting a better quality of something that we already possessed at some level. Well, the explanation for this is then in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. This is very interesting. Jesus, or John, excuse me, says that the Mosaic law is an evidence of God's grace. Wait a second. <laughs> I thought the Mosaic law was legalistic. That's how we tend to think of it, at least. So how can the law of Moses be God's grace to us? Well, it's grace to us because the law revealed God's character. It revealed the will of God. It taught us how to live as redeemed people. Without the law, we would not know what God is like. Without the law, Paul says, I would not know what sin is. Without the law, we would not know what pleases God and displeases God. But this law, which is of God's grace, is limited. It's limited. How is it limited? Well, the law has no power to save. The law has no power to save. It can't take dead people and make them alive. If the law cannot save, then who or what can? Well, Jesus can. That's the message of Galatians. That's the message of Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. 
When Jesus came as the embodiment of grace and truth, he fulfilled the law, Matthew 5. Then he replaced the gracious law with himself, which is a greater show of grace. That's how Jesus' grace is greater. We have received something greater on top of what we've already received. Because yes, we had received something from God that showed us who God was, but we have something better because God is now with us, showing us exactly what God's grace lives and breathes and does. And this grace, this person, Jesus, actually can save sinners. Here's the key point. The gracious giving of God's law to his people in the old covenant is now replaced by God's son, who is a greater grace. In Christ, we see the fullness of grace and truth. And this is, this is a, a really a description of the gift of salvation. Jesus combines grace and truth, showering grace upon us. Because salvation is, as the Latin reformer said, sola gratia, by grace alone. This is how Paul describes grace in Romans 3. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is a gift of grace to us. And of all people in the world, we should be able to understand why we give one another gifts at Christmas. It's not just an acceptable cultural thing to do. It's not just something to fill our time because we have to. We give gifts in representation of the greatest gift that we have ever received. The Lord Jesus Christ, who offers to us a free gift, a gift of salvation. How do we respond to this gift of grace then? Well, we could spend days meditating on these things. But first, we receive the gift of salvation by receiving Christ the Lord. Because when he came to earth, he came on a mission to redeem and restore fallen humanity to the likeness, to his likeness for his glory. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we deserve to die. He rose because he is triumphant over sin and death and the grave and has conquered our enemy, which is death. And now offers eternal life to us as a gift, just like we, will, we have already offered to our children gifts. When I gave them a gift yesterday morning, I didn't say, now you owe me $13.92. Uh, my children are small enough that they might be innocent enough, they'd say, okay, dad, let me go get my piggy bank. <laughs> but that's not how it works spiritually. We either receive the gift of salvation or we try to pay God for it. And we can't pay enough. We can't pay enough. That's why salvation is a gift, so receive it. And then if you've received the gift, respond in worship. That's why we're here on Christmas morning. We're responding to the gift of salvation through Jesus in worship. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn king. And then believer, rest in your salvation. Rest in it. Any good work that you do does not affect your position before God. You can't make yourself more of a child of God than you already are. Christ has earned our standing for us. And so as we celebrate Christmas, we can rest that, wow, <laughs> Jesus came to earth for me, and I'm blown away by that, and my future is secure. My hope is certain. My joy is eternal because Jesus has purchased it for me. Finally, 
Jesus came as the word to show us the face of God. This is in verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. Jesus alone shows us God's face. Verse 18 begins with a simple statement of fact. No one has seen God at any time. No one has ever seen God. In Exodus 33, 20, Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God's response is, you can't see me. You can't see my face. No man shall see me and live. So if, if, if God can't be seen, how are we supposed to know what God is like? Okay, we have the law. We've talked about that already. We, we know what God is like by, by what he says to do, what he doesn't say to do. But, but is there a more vivid way that we can see God? How can we come near the holy God who is transcendent over all creation? And the answer, as you probably have guessed, is through Jesus, the word of God. Because Jesus has a uniquely intimate relationship with the Father. He has a special relationship with God, a, a relationship that's unique to him. In verse 18, we see again that, that phrase, only begotten son. It's the same word back in verse 14 that really means one of a kind, one and only, in a category all by himself. That means that Jesus is not like us in the sense that he is related to God like us. We are God's children, but he is God. He shares deity with God. And Jesus also is in the bosom of the Father. He's in the bosom of the Father, you see there in verse 18. Now, I don't know about you, but bosom is not a word I use very much in common language. Maybe that should be the word of the week or something. Bosom I don't know, it just kind of sounds funny saying it. Try it later. Uh, but this, this word speaks of the greatest intimacy and closest association that we could possibly have. Only Jesus can provide this level of access and intimacy with God. He shares something unique with God because he shares divinity with God. And therefore, he is uniquely positioned to show us God. And he did that when he came to earth as a man. So he has a uniquely intimate relationship with God. But we also need to see that, that he shows us God's face because he displays the invisible God. Try to wrap your mind around that for a moment. How, how do we see something that's invisible? This morning, because we didn't have Sunday school, I had an extra hour of time. Uh, I was scrolling on my newsfeed and came across the James Webb, James Webb Space Telescope. This was the space telescope that was launched a year ago on Christmas 2021, and it replaced the Hubble telescope. And the pictures that have come from this are incredible. They're mind-blowing. You need to go look it up later. And some of the pictures that they take, they take it with infrared light. And they took pictures of Saturn, and the rings are so crystal clear. To the naked eye, that was invisible to us. We didn't even know it was there, and yet this telescope that took six months to get into position because there were so many intricate parts to it, is showing us the invisible. And that's exactly what God is doing through Jesus. The invisible God is vividly seen through Christ. Now look at verse 18 at the, at the last word, the last couple of words. He has declared him for the third time today. This is an interesting word. In the New King James, it says declared. If you've got a New American Standard, it says explained. The ESV and the NIV say made known. And whenever there's a, a variety of interpretations 
through several translations, you know that this is kind of a difficult word to bring into English. Uh, it is the Greek word exegeo, from which we get the word exegete. Exegesis is actually what I do every week preparing to preach. I am taking a text and studying it to understand it and bring the nuances of it out to show you. The word exegete has the idea of telling the whole story, giving the full account of something. So don't let the irony be lost on you. Jesus is the exegesis of God, the word exegeting the Father. He makes the invisible God visible. He shows the glory and greatness and goodness of God in human form. He tells the whole story of God, giving a full account of God to man. Anything we wish to know about God is seen through Christ. Jesus shows us the Father. In fact, he told one of his disciples in John 14, he who has seen me has seen the Father. That's an astounding claim. The only way to look at God is to see Jesus. That means we actually can know what God is like. We can study the invisible God. We can ponder the incomprehensible God as we look at and meditate on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a glorious privilege, an abundant mercy that God would stoop to our senses, that, that though he is so vast and incomprehensible, he says, I'm gonna be confined by the, the, the human senses of sight and sound and taste and touch and smell. Jesus shows us the invisible God, which means that we can know what God is like by looking at Christ. God alone has immortality, dwelling in an unapproachable light, whom no man has ever seen or can't see, but in Jesus we see him. All the Old Testament saints served God through shadows and symbols and whispers. But now in Jesus, we serve God in substance and clarity and shouts. Because long ago at many times and in many ways, our fathers spoke to us by the prophets. But in these last days, God spoke to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to this greater word. We must not drift away from Jesus. We must be faithful to him because if we drift away from him, there is no one else who can explain God to us. Now, it's so easy for us to get sentimental about the baby in the manger, isn't it? We got the shepherds and the angels gathered around. Last night I, I commented that we've got a little, you know, one of those uh, Fisher-Price little people's set. And, you know, Knox has it on, the, on the, the mantle of the fireplace and he plays with it. And it's, it plays uh, away in a manger over and over again that's burned into my psyche. And, and it's really cute, right? And after about three days of it, you know, we hear that and it triggers us. Ah, shut the sound off. But it's easy to get sentimental. That's my point. It's easy to get sentimental. But when we get sentimental, sometimes we, we, we rely on the emotion that we feel in, and we miss what's actually being communicated. Because thousands of people today, m literally millions of people today, are celebrating a holiday in the name of our Savior Jesus, celebrating his birth, talking about the elements of the Christmas story without a clue as to what they're doing or why they're doing it. We who are God's children must recognize the significance of our day. And that significance is because Jesus shows us who God is. He shows us how God interacts with sinners. 
He shows us how God treats the self-righteous. He shows us the infinite mercy and the matchless love of God. He shows us the way of salvation. He communicates to us. The Word does. Are we listening to what He's saying? Or, or is it like putting Him... Have we put Jesus in a soundproof room and locked the door so we can't see Him or hear Him and, and, and we just... We know he's there. He's in our box. But we're not really reconciling who he is with how we live. What a privilege we have of seeing the face of God in Jesus. This reminds me of the song, Mary, Did You Know? One verse goes like this. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand? Did you know That your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? When we gaze at the Christ child in the manger, what do we see? Well, yes, we see the baby. We see the fulfillment of prophecy. But we see the glory of God. We see the embodiment of the grace of God. And we actually see the face of God in this child. My friends, as you enjoy the festivities today, do not get caught up in the hustle and bustle. Don't get caught up in the food and the family, good or bad. Don't get caught up in the memories and the sentiments and neglect to focus on our Savior. Let's listen to the Word who explains God to us. Let's rejoice that we have heard the glorious news, and we understand it. That unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. If you enjoyed this content, please consider sharing it with others. Our mission at Red Rocks Baptist Church is to know Christ and to make Him known. May God bless you as you follow Him.